Welcome to Investigate Joe Rogan, the podcast where I investigate claims made on the Joe Rogan experience. Today I am continuing my investigation of episode 911. This will be part two. And I'm just going to get right into it here with Alex Jones's claim that Andrew Breitbart knew about Podesta being a pedo in 2011 and then got murdered because of his forbidden knowledge. Now this is referencing a 2011 Andrew Breitbart tweet that said, How Prague guru John Podesta isn't household name as world-class underage sex slave op cover-upper defending unspeakable dregs escapes me. Now because of the made-up words and abbreviations for the sake of Twitter, this reading this tweet kind of hurts my brain. But it is about the undercover Acorn videos. And ACORN was the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, and it was a nonprofit um, that got that was funded by the government, and it did community organization stuff, voter registration uh, for poor people, etc. And these two journalists went in and secretly filmed themselves asking uh, various ACORN places for help with their underage prostitution business. And this story is what basically launched uh, Breitbart's mainstream career. And some of the videos are really pretty wild. The ones where they go to Baltimore, DC, and Brooklyn, they get real advice from from the Acorn employees. They get told to just say that they're a freelancer on their taxes, what they're doing is fine, they just shouldn't tell anyone and they'll get away with it. Um, one person tells them to put their money in a tin and just like bury it underground. It's really pretty crazy. But then what hurt these people's credibility, the journalists that is, uh, is the San Bernardino, San Diego, and Philadelphia videos. Um, the, the employees respond appropriately. They get told off. Some people clearly just think that they're trolling, and they get the cops called on them, but they then edited these videos to make them look as bad as the other real ones. So if you look up these stuff about these videos online, you'll find a lot of people saying, oh, it's just all edited to look bad. But the the first three ones are real, and people really got fired because of this and acorn got defunded and no longer exists because of these videos they really are that crazy so then what is the podesta connection well podesta was on acorn's advisory council and was then part of the ensuing investigation into acorn uh, that was caused by these videos and this infuriated breitbart because It's an obvious conflict of interest that Podesta was one of the ones investigating Acorn when he was part of Acorn. So that's what his tweet is referencing. He felt as though the investigation didn't go far enough. It didn't turn up the underage sex slave operation that he thought this was evidence of. But is this really evidence of a a widespread conspiracy that Acorn was part of? Or is it just evidence of bureaucratic incompetence? I'm not sure. 
but you can say that there is a Podesta connection in a way. And there there is one piece of evidence to support the conspiracy that Breitbart did not just die of natural causes, which is that Michael Cormier, who was a forensic technician at the L.A. County Coroner's Office, which is where Breitbart ended up, died of arsenic poisoning the day the autopsy report came out. It's unknown how it got into his system, whether it was poison or suicide or whatever, but obviously InfoWars and also Russia Today ran with this story and said it was a, a conspiracy, you know, he got murdered to cover it up. Um, but then the L.A. County coroner's assistant chief, Ed Winter, said that Cormier did not actually work on Breitbart, which makes it somewhat less suspicious. But still, he really did die the day the autopsy came out, and he really did work at the building. So it would be, it's quite the coincidence, even if there is no hard evidence for the idea that Breitbart was murdered. Then continuing with the, the pedo stuff, which was a lot of what 9-11, episode 9-11 was about, um, Alex Jones says that Bill Clinton was on the Lolita Express, but Trump was not. And... Alex Jones could not have known about this in 2017, but it has since come out that Trump did, in fact, take the Lolita Express from the Palm Beach International Airport to the Newark Liberty International Airport in 1997. So he was not a frequent flyer like Bill Clinton was, but he was on the plane. And there are other Trump-Epstein connections beyond this uh, that have come out since episode 9-11. So Trump was recently accused um, of raping someone at a 1994 Epstein party. However, the accuser was anonymous and the suit was quickly dropped. Journalists didn't really want to touch it because not only was there no evidence, but the accuser was anonymous, which makes it pretty shady, especially considering that it was while he was running for election. And then Virginia Jufri, who is like the main Epstein accuser, says she was first approached while she was working at a towel girl at Mar-a-Lago, which Trump owns, obviously. So there's a bit of a connection there. And then there is, of course, the 2002 Trump quote, I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. No doubt about it, Jeffrey enjoys his social life. This is an incredibly suspicious quote, but Trump has since denied having any sort of a relationship with Epstein. He said they were never friends. He said he was not a fan. And there's no evidence beyond this. Everything past these few confirmed facts is just speculation. But I'll, I'll just say that it's not great that both the winner of the 2016 presidential election and the loser both have confirmed connections to Jeffrey Epstein. This is probably just not what you want from the, the rich people in your country. 
And the last, the last pedo thing for this episode, Alex Jones says that the so-called spirit cooking that Podesta attended was some sort of a cult, uh, like demonic thing. So spirit cooking uh, is a Marina Abramovic performance art experience, you could say. If you watch Documentary Now, she's the one who's parodied in the Waiting for the Artist episode which is a really funny episode. But basically, it is a performance art piece. And the the one uh, statement I could find from her on the occult and stuff like that is in a Reddit AMA, someone asked, what place do you see the occult having within contemporary art? Can magic be made, not simply appropriated slash performed? I'd like to note that this Redditor spelled magic with a C and a K, which really tells you a lot about the sort of person who asked the question. Um, but anyway, she answers, everything depends on which context you are doing what you are doing. English is not her first language. If you are doing the occult magic in the context of art or in a gallery, then it is the art. If you are doing it in different context, in spiritual circles or private house or on TV shows, it is not art. The intention, the context for what is made, and where it is made defines what art is or not. So the context of spirit cooking is art. It is a known performance art piece that she does. Um, it's just a pretentious performance art thing. You could obviously just say that she's lying, but spirit cooking isn't a secret thing. So they also talk about some of Alex Jones's older work, you might say, which includes the idea that the World Trade Organization protests were infiltrated by cops who would then uh, do more violent things than the actual protesters, which would justify like hard police crackdown on the protests. And there's no direct evidence that the 1999 uh, Seattle protests were escalated by undercover cops. But the Black Bloc, which was the big group at these protests, has been infiltrated by police posing as members in the past, like confirmed. At the 2001 G8 summit in Genoa, uh, the Guardian, among a bunch of other legit publications, reported that men dressed in black had been seen getting out of police vans and sort of sneaking into the protesters. And then in 2003, Oakland police admitted to infiltrating an anti-Iraq black bloc protest and steering their march away from the police station to avoid a violent confrontation. And then at the protests of the North American Leaders Summit in Canada in 2007, police uh, admitted they went undercover in the Black Bloc. And then here's the connection to the 1999 Seattle WTO protests. Captain Howard Jordan of the Oakland Police Department said this about uh, the Oakland protester disguise operation. I think we need to have a group of officers available at all times, any time of the day, so if this information becomes available, they can follow up on it. So we could get officers into that group for their meetings. 
We could get people there in advance. They advertise that stuff on the internet. It's not that difficult. San Francisco does it. Seattle, a lot of large agencies do it. And we need to make sure that the next time something like this happens, that we're way ahead of the curve, that we're in there. So he says Seattle police use this tactic. And if there was ever a time to use that tactic, it would be the 99 WTO protests. So while this does not prove Alex Jones's theory about it being a beta test for martial law and all that stuff, he is probably right that it did happen. Extremely plausible. And now on to Soros, who is sort of the final boss for a lot of conspiracy theorists. Alex Jones says a couple things about Soros. He says that he's trying to overthrow Israel, that he was a Nazi collaborator, and that he tried to crash the pound and bring down England. So I'll start with Israel. Surprisingly, another person who thinks Soros is trying to overthrow Israel is Benjamin Netanyahu and various other Israeli officials. For instance, Foreign Ministry spokesman Emmanuel Nishan said Soros continuously undermines Israel's democratically elected governments and that he funds groups that defame the Jewish state and seek to deny it the right to defend itself. And then Yair Netanyahu, son of Prime Minister, um, has said that Soros is trying to end the Jewish state in its current form. And he also he also posted this meme on Facebook once of Soros leading this like reptilian alien along with like a fishing pole. And then the reptilian is leading on like the Illuminati and so on. You know, like one of those sorts of memes. And what's, what's hilarious about that is that the meme was obviously created by like an anti-Semite white nationalist type, <laughs> which makes me think that Yair Netanyahu totally lacks any sort of self-awareness. It's actually pretty funny. You should go look up the, the picture he posted. You should look the picture that the son of the prime minister of Israel posted. It's very strange. And so why do these people hate Soros in the Israeli government? Well, basically for the same sort of reason that a lot of American conservatives don't like Soros. Soros funds various liberal groups in Israel. But what really got him on the, the list is that he funds a lot of groups that are critical of Israel's treatments of the Palestinians, uh, including Human Rights Watch. But Israel doesn't have any proof or anything that he's trying to topple their government. This is just how they react to everyone who's critical of their, you know, military maneuvers. So then, where does the idea that he's a Nazi collaborator come from? Well, when he was 13, uh, living in Hungary as a Jew, he was assigned a job as like a mailboy by the Nazis. And so he delivered letters about like property seizure and like imprisonment and things to other Jews. But this was not optional. You know, <laughs> when the Nazis told Jews to do stuff, it wasn't like on a volunteer basis. Like he had to do this. And then later when he was 14, 
his family sent him away to pose as the Christian godson of this guy Tivadar, who was an official uh, for the Hungarian government, who was also hiding his Jewish wife. And so Soros would go around with him pretending not to be Jewish, as this dude like oversaw the confiscation of Jewish estates. So to somehow say that these things make Soros a Nazi collaborator is pretty ridiculous. And then the thing with the pound, Soros shorting the pound is not what caused it to crash. Shorting currency is something that lots of investors do around the world all the time. It's not what causes the crash. I think pe- people just don't like it when someone profits off of a catastrophe, which is what Soros did. He just made a bajillion dollars off of a terrible thing that happened, which always makes people mad even if you're not actually technically doing anything wrong. And then after this, they get into space. And first of all, I would just like to say, if you want to see the best cut in JRE history, go to minute 42 when they're talking about the whole like Alex Jones's Bill Hicks meme. And Rogan says, oh, you know, they think you're Bill Hicks. And Alex Jones says, well, they think there's a flat earth too. And they cut right to Eddie Bravo for about a second and a half. And it's hilarious. But in case you forgot, because this episode came out two years ago, here's what Alex Jones's big theory on the moon landing is. He says that NASA did indeed go to the moon. And not only that, but they, there were two ships, one of which was a secret, that stayed in orbit around the moon as a backup in case the people on the first one died. And then while the landing really did happen. The footage is fake because you cannot take film through the Van Allen radiation belt. Um, There's no evidence for any of this, obviously. Uh, This cannot be verified. Uh, But we do get a great quote out of this, which is uh, Alex Jones saying, the damn thing isn't even that far away. while he's talking about how the moon landing really happened, uh, mostly directed at Eddie Bravo, of course, the NASA skeptic. And Alex Jones says he gets a lot of this stuff from Raymond Teagues, who he says was the main guy on mission control and was going to tell him everything, but he died before he could spill the beans. And Raymond Teagues' obituary says that he was a guidance officer on the Apollo missions. And there's very little information about him to be found on the internet. So it's a bit misleading to say that he was the main guy on mission control. He clearly was not that important and did not play a major role. But I guess we'll never know. Now now that he's dead, I I guess it's a mystery. Alex Jones also says that Buzz Aldrin said that there's a monolith on the moon of Mars, like in 2001, A Space Odyssey. And this is technically true, but here's the full quote from the, spe- from the C-SPAN clip, because they don't show the full thing in the episode. Buzz Aldrin says, 
There's a monolith there, a very unusual structure on this little potato-shaped object that goes around Mars once in seven hours. When people find out about that, they're going to say, who put that there? Who put that there? Well, uh, the universe put it there. If you choose, God put it there. So he's not saying it's aliens. It's a rock. Some, sometimes rocks are just big and flat. If you need evidence of this, go to Nevada. There are big, flat rocks. There are monoliths just in Nevada. And I, I guess the last thing I'll say for this episode is that nobody has ever had as much trouble with the headphones as Alex Jones did in this episode. You, didn't, you did not see this if you were just listening instead of watching like a, a true diehard JRE fan. But he's like taking them off. He's putting them back on. He's fixing his hair. I mean, there there are women who get interviewed on JRE who just calmly wear the headphones the whole time, who have way more hair than Alex Jones. <laughs> so I just found that to be pretty funny. And that'll that'll be it for this episode. But this is not over just yet. There will be one more installment in what I am choosing to now call the 9-11 trilogy of Investigate Joe Rogan. So stay tuned.